I'm back. You guys ready for the word? All right, let's get into it. Uh, Luke chapter 16 and Romans chapter 11, if you have your Bible. If you're new here, I'm Pastor Jake, the lead pastor here at Great Oaks. It's my honor and privilege to unpack with you and for you the Word of God. That's what we do here at Great Oaks. And, uh, you know, Jesus, when he, when he taught, oftentimes he used stories to teach, right? Um, we call them parables. Uh, but Jesus loved story time. He just loved it. Like, my kids love story time at the library. Jesus loves story time. He'd sit down and tell stories all day long. So I thought today uh, what we could do is we could start this message with a story. You guys good with uh, some story time today? You guys good with that? Okay, it doesn't matter because I've got the face mic. So I'm going to do it no matter what you say. But uh, let me tell you a story. Uh, there, There once was a shepherd, a wise and loving shepherd named Benjamin. And he was, he was more than a shepherd, really, because shepherds usually only have charge over their flock uh, or over sheep. And Benjamin, he, he considered himself shepherd over all the creatures in his land. And he owned a lot of land. Uh, he owned a lot of land from vast grazing fields and pools of refreshing water, wells that his family had dug centuries before. Hills and valleys. And there was also this wide swath of forest land, untamed and rugged, that encircled all of Benjamin's property. And for centuries, a peace had settled over the grazing fields at the, at the center of Benjamin's land. For the most part, the sheep and other creatures there enjoyed an easy life. They, they were loved, cared for, fed, protected. But just like the grazing lands were characterized by, or the grazing fields were characterized by peace, so the, the forest became the opposite. It was characterized by chaos and violence. Creatures hid in fear there because of the wolves who thought it was theirs to reign. It was full of darkness, despair, pain. And so... Benjamin's land was one of both shadow and light, good and evil, chaos and peace. And one might think by watching Benjamin care for his sheep that that he only had love for those creatures in the grazing fields, that his love didn't extend to the wolves and the other creatures uh, in the forest land. And it would make sense to think that way because just like any loving shepherd would, Benjamin fiercely protected the sheep and the other creatures in his grazing fields from the wolves in the forest. It was not uncommon for the wolves to mount an assault on the sheep to try to kill them, to try to steal them, especially um, in particularly harsh winters that left the forest land uh, void of food. In those times, it was said that Benjamin's countenance would change, that he would go from peaceful shepherd to fierce warrior in the blink of an eye, that his his shepherd's staff that was normally used to gently nudge wayward sheep back to the flock would be transformed into a weapon that, that could deliver a serious blow to a wolf, especially stubborn and vicious wolves that even died from a strike of Benjamin's staff. Of course, 
Benjamin wasn't alone in all of this. He was always accompanied by his four-legged lieutenants, as he called them, sheepdogs. But more than sheepdogs, just like Benjamin was more than a shepherd, fiercely loyal. They would protect Benjamin and his sheep and the other creatures in the grazing fields with their very lives. And so this was the balance, the status quo of the lands of Benjamin. The creatures, the sheep and the other creatures in the grazing fields enjoyed a secure peace, but it wasn't for lack of attack or lack of evil. They enjoyed that peace that was secure because of Benjamin's protection of it, defense of it, along with his four-legged lieutenants against the wolves of the forest. And with such brave such bravery and such stark contrast between good and evil and chaos and peace. Well, one would think that the, that the sheep would, would remain as close to the center of the grazing fields as possible, as close to the protection of Benjamin and his lieutenants as possible, but, but that was not the case. If you don't know this already, sheep, sheep can be fickle creatures, Beloved of Benjamin, and yet oftentimes dumb. Oh, so dumb. And so Benjamin's greatest heartache didn't come from the forest land. It came from within the grazing fields when a sheep of his own accord would choose to wander from the peace and security of those fields. They would leave the inner fields, and go into the, the outer fields near the forest and oftentimes, oftentimes into it. That was Benjamin's greatest heartache. But what was worse was that they never went alone, that there were always followers. There were always sheep going with that lead sheep. There's always a lead sheep too, the first to succumb to the itch to wander, but others followed every time. Fickle creatures, as I said. The loyal lieutenants would stand in their way and try to nudge them back towards the flock. Benjamin would do the same with his staff. Oftentimes that worked. They would go back to the flock, but other times, other times it didn't work. And the lieutenants were authorized um, to get aggressive with that lead sheep if he persisted in his stubbornness and in his Wandering. They would growl and protest. They would even nip at them to get them to turn around and head back. But they were, not, they were not authorized to actually hurt the sheep. They were told that if that lead sheep persisted in his or her stubbornness and desire to wander, they were to let them go, let them wander. Sometimes they would turn back on their own as if having thought better of it, but other times they wouldn't. Those sheep that kept wandering, they would wander far from the inner fields, from the pools, the drinking pools, and far, miles and miles away from the protection of Benjamin. And they would get lost and they would die. A lieutenant would find them later having died of thirst or finding only remains, he would assume that they were eaten by wolves. And if he didn't find any trace of them whatsoever. They thought, well, they must be captured and in the forest land being tormented as we speak. When this happened, 
it broke Benjamin's heart. He wept. He was often inconsolable for a time. He, he loved every creature in his grazing fields. He, he wanted them to live long and peaceful lives. He wanted their joy. And so, like I said, sometimes people would say that Benjamin's love must not pass the boundary line. It must not go from grazing field to forest, from sheep to wolf. There were even people in Benjamin's own family who would accuse him of favoritism. They would say, the, the, the wolves deserve love too. The, the forest land needs peace too. They would say, how could you only care about the creatures in the grazing fields and neglect those in the forest lands? How could you do that? They would say, why not let the wolves in? Surely they're not that bad. Surely they would change if they got into the grazing fields and experienced the peace that reigns there. Others would say, if, if Benjamin loves the sheep so much, why does he let them persist in wandering? Why not tie them up? Why not put them in a pen so they can't get out? So in this way, the depth of Benjamin's love and wisdom was often questioned. But the lieutenants knew better. They saw Benjamin in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the wolves attacking. They saw him defend. They saw him fight. They saw that happen. He even put his own life at risk at times for the sheep and other creatures there. But even in that moment when they saw his ferocity and they saw his determination, he, he, he never led with a killing blow. He always just wanted to stun the wolves to get them to scatter. He only ever delivered that killing blow if it was absolutely necessary. So the, wool, or the, the sheep dogs, the, the, the lieutenant saw this happening when no one else did. But they also saw something else. When there wasn't a battle going on in the moment, when the wolves were not attacking, oftentimes they would be on patrol of the outer fields. And Benjamin and the lieutenants, they would see a few wolves just outside the boundary line looking at them. And in that moment, Benjamin would often stop. He would look at them and then he'd walk towards them. He'd get to the boundary line and then he would cross it and he would step into the forest land. Now that may be shocking to you, but don't forget that the forest land was just as much Benjamin's property as the grazing fields were. Oftentimes when Benjamin would walk towards the wolves, they would scatter, they would run. But other times, wolves would sit there as if caught in a trance, as if, as if they were hungry. But not just for food, hungry for a different life, hungry for a different reality. Benjamin would then seek to befriend the wolf. He, he would reach out slowly to them. He would speak softly to them. He would oftentimes give them some food that he had been carrying in his pouch. And this, this amazing thing happened that most people didn't know about. It may take multiple interactions and many wolves would be enticed and tempted back to the chaos and violence of the forest lands. But it was as if the peace that the sheep and other creatures enjoyed in the grazing fields was something that Benjamin carried with him. As if it was 
a tangible thing that he could offer to anyone that he wanted. And, and some of these wolves, not, not a majority by any means, but not a small amount either, they would change. Their countenance, their rigidness, the, the untamed look in their eyes, their, their fear and their hate, it would, it would change. And it, it may not be on the first time, it might be on the hundredth time, but eventually when Benjamin invited them into the peace of the grazing fields, they would walk across the boundary line carefully, timidly. They would walk across. And from out from under the darkness of the forest and in the bright light of the grazing fields, they, they looked different. They looked new. They looked transformed. Uh, many often, often wondered where Benjamin got such skilled and loyal sheepdogs, where he got his lieutenants. It was just unfathomable to think that they were wolves. Wolves who had accepted the peace of Benjamin, let go of the fear and the hate and the chaos and violence that had reigned in their hearts and they had changed. Now, don't get confused. There's a difference between the, a wolf of the forest and, and one of Benjamin's loyal sheepdogs, one of his lieutenants. They're two totally different creatures altogether, entirely different. Benjamin would never allow the wolves to come into his flock. He would never allow a wolf into his flock. Chaos and peace cannot coexist. Light and darkness have no shot at living together. He would never allow a wolf into his flock, but a transformed wolf? A loyal sheepdog to add to his loyal band of four-legged lieutenants. Those he welcomed with open arms. Story time's fun, isn't it? All right, let's pause the story for just a minute. We're in week two of a six-week series called Redacted. Lately, the word redacted has been used a lot in the news because a redacted version of the Mueller report has been released, right? And so you understand what redacted is. It just means that there was a document and that somebody came in after it was written and took things out or covered things over with these thick, dark lines. And the idea of this series is that while, while you may not be taking a black sharpie to your Bible and redacting things, while you may not be taking a knife like Thomas Jefferson to your Bible and carving things out of it, there are definitely things in the Bible that you actually believe, the one in your heart, that have been redacted. But we pick and choose in our culture verses and passages that fit our worldview and toss those that don't. We're so guilty of this. We act like certain ideas and verses just aren't in there because to live like they are in there would be too difficult. It would cost us. In other words, while the Bible in your hands may not be a redacted version, the one in your heart is the one you live by, the one you believe. That's a big problem because the Bible says the Bible is an all or nothing deal. 
2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says all Scripture is God-breathed. You either accept all of Scripture as truth or you accept none of it as truth. So a redacted version of God's Word is no longer God's Word. So in this series, we're taking on six different biblical ideas or passages that we tend to redact out of the Bible in our hearts, that we tend to ignore because it's easier to ignore them. Last week was our first week, and we took on John 14, 6, the idea that Jesus is the only way. No one comes to the Father or to heaven except through Him, a difficult truth to actually live by, much easier redacted than lived by. If you missed that last week, make sure you get it on iTunes or on our website. Today, I want to talk to you about hell. I want to talk to you about hell. Now, I know you woke up this morning, and you're like, you know what I hope he talks about? Hell. Like, it'd be great if we could just have an encouraging, like, cotton candy message on hell. That would be, that would be amazing. So I'm here to make you happy. I'm here for you. I'm here to serve you. So that's what we're going to do today. Let me walk through uh, something with you in Romans chapter 11. We're going to start in, in verse 19. But this is the Apostle Paul writing to Gentile believers. Gentile means non-Jewish people. So people like you and me, unless you're an ethnic Jew in here, then people like you and me who are Gentiles who have surrendered their life over to Jesus Christ and they live in Rome, and he's talking about this idea that the Jewish people are God's chosen people, and yet some of them, many of them, rejected Jesus as the Messiah, and so now Gentiles, like you and me, non-Jewish people, are allowed to, to be saved by Jesus Christ, that we are afforded and have accepted salvation in Jesus Christ, even though some Jews have not. And so to explain this, in this context in Romans chapter 11, he's using an analogy of a, a tree or a vine that has branches. And he's saying there's some branches that have been cut off. That's some Jewish people in that time who haven't believed. But then there are branches that are being grafted into the vine. And those are the Gentiles like you and me, unless you're an ethnic Jew. And so he's talking to Gentiles and he's telling them not to get proud and arrogant because of this whole thing. That's the context. Verse 19, Romans chapter 11 then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. So he tells them, yes, you got in because other branches were cut off, but don't be proud. And then the scriptures tell them and us to fear. Don't be proud, but fear. You need to fear. Fear what? Look at the next verse, verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, that's the Jewish people, if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. If God didn't spare his chosen people for their unbelief, then he's not going to spare you either. So fear unbelief and stand fast in faith. Now look at verse 22. Verse 22 is the one I really want you to see. You can memorize it. You need to add it to the way that you approach and understand God. So he says, do not fear. I know he says fear. I'm sorry. Do not pr be proud, but fear. For God didn't spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Then verse 22. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. 
severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Note, pay attention. Don't miss the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have been cut off, those who have fallen, and kindness towards you, provided you continue in that kindness. If you don't continue in it, you'll be cut off. Note, well, note, pay attention to the kindness and the severity of God. Now, on a whole, I think we have at least begun to understand the kindness of God, right? We, we know that a little bit better than the severity of God, at least. The kindness of God is what is preached in most churches across our nation or across our world every Sunday, as it should be. Themes that run through the entire Bible, like grace and love and healing and all of that are the kindnesses of God, and they should be dwelled on, they should be studied, they should be understood. And so that makes sense, the kindness of God. But the text didn't stop there. It said, note the kindness and the severity of God. So, so, so here's, here's what I'm saying. The, the ultimate kindness of God is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on a cross to take your punishment, to meet your standard in order to be saved for his glory and for your joy. That is the ultimate kindness of God, that through the cross you might spend eternity with Jesus Christ and he might be glorified. So that's the kindness of God. But just like the kindness of God, the ultimate kindness of God is the cross of Jesus and eternity with Christ. So the ultimate severity of God is an eternity without Christ. That's the severity of God. So hell, then, is the ultimate severity of God. And hell is something we rarely talk about. We love talking about heaven and and the cross and all that, and as we should, but we rarely talk about the ultimate severity of God, which is hell and absent the presence of God for eternity. So For many of us, we've redacted this whole thing out of the Bible in our hearts. It's easier to redact all the passages about hell than it is to deal with its reality. And people people love love so much that they totally disregard very biblical ideas of judgment and punishment and holiness. They say things like, God is loving. He would never do that. He would never send people to hell. Or they say, that's unfair. The punishment doesn't fit the crime. It's not fair. So what I want to do quickly is just to show you just two passages about hell in the Gospels. And then we'll talk about our typical responses to this and what our correct response should be. But before I do that, I've got a book I want to draw your attention to. Um, It's called Erasing Hell by Francis Chan. It's I'm not using any of the material today, so it'll be new material, different material uh, than I'm preaching today, Uh, but it it is a good resource on this biblical idea of hell and how we've got off base. So I want to give three of these out. You can go to Amazon and get this, but I want to give three of these out. Who wants a book on hell? That would be exciting. Right there, boom. Okay, anybody else over on the side? I got it to somebody related to you, so it's close. Somebody over here? I think I can hit this person better than anyone. I did. Hey, listen, first service, I was 0 for 3. 
That time I was three for three. Thank you. Thank you. Some claps. I don't ever get claps for, for preaching, but for that I got some claps. So the majority of the New Testament is um, written in Greek, right? And so the Greek word that we translate as hell is Gehenna. shows up 12 times in the New Testament. I just want to show you two of those. Sometimes we... Um, Translated as eternal fire and things like that, so depending on your translation. But let's look at two of those. The first one is Matthew chapter 18. I told you to go to Luke 16. We'll get there next. This one will be on the screen. All of them will be on the screen. Matthew 18, starting in verse 8. This is Jesus talking. He says, If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands and two feet to be thrown into eternal Fire And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. All right, I heard another preacher explain it this way, and it stuck with me. It is better for me to never hold my children. It's better for me to never run my fingers through my wife's hair. It's better for me to never be able to drive a car. It's better for me to never be able to brush my own teeth. It's better for me, whatever you fill in the blank with, whatever you do with your hands, it's better for me to never be able to do those things than it is for me to be able to do those things and find myself outside of the kingdom of God. It's better for me to never see a sunrise or a sunset. It's better for me to never see the stars in the sky. It's better for me to never see my daughters get married or my son throw a ball. It's better for me to never have seen those things than to have seen those things and find myself outside of the kingdom of God. Here's my point. How horrible hell must be. How horrible hell must be that it's better for me not to do those things in this life than it would be for me to end up in hell. How horrible hell must be. Look at the next passage, Luke 16. Luke 16, Jesus is telling a story. Seems like a real story, not a parable. But he says in verse 19 of Luke 16, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he's comforted here and you are in anguish. Look at verse 26. And besides all this, between us in heaven and you in hell, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here, heaven, to you, hell, may not be able, and none may cross from there, hell, to us, heaven. So there is a chasm from the presence of God 
that excludes the presence of God from the reality of hell. So hell then is the absence of God. It's not just eternal, eternal torment that, that's worse than not being able to do those things we talked about in this life, but it is the absence of God. It's kind of a big deal since everything that is good comes from God. Everything that is perfect is a gift from God. So everything that brings peace, comfort, joy, love, anything like that is from God and therefore not in hell. Hell is the absence of God. The reality of hell is the absence of God. There's so much more we could talk about. We could keep teaching on hell. It's a place of gnashing of teeth. It's a place where the worm does not die. It's a place of eternal torment and darkness. This is the very biblical idea of hell. So I want to talk to you for a few moments just about what's our reaction to the idea of hell, to the doctrine of hell, the biblical idea of hell. Here's the most popular response. How can a loving God send people to hell? How can a loving God send people to hell? That's not fair. That's not right. The punishment doesn't fit the crime. So, so I steal a pencil or I tell a white lie to my, my uh, boss and I get eternal punishment in hell for that? That doesn't seem fair. Isn't that, isn't that basically where we land? I mean, it's pretty close to where most of us will land, or many in our world will land, and then some of us will go from there to completely disregarding scriptures that we know we shouldn't. We'll say something like, God, God wouldn't do something like that because he's loving. God, God just wouldn't do something like that. What makes you say that? Oh, I, just, I just know his character. You know, his character, just, he just wouldn't do that. I like what Matt Chandler teaches on this. Listen to me a second. Here, here's what we're saying. When we embrace that idea, how can a loving God send people to hell? Translation, the name and glory of God aren't that big of a deal. The name and the glory of God are not that big of a deal. It's just not that big of a deal. Hell for eternity is the wrong punishment for us making ourselves the center of the universe and stealing his glory. The punishment doesn't fit the crime because the crime isn't that big of a deal. It's like, oh, he wouldn't do such a thing. Well, what about over and over and over in the scriptures where it says he does? What about that? No, he, he wouldn't do such a thing. Listen, I know Jesus. I know him right here. And he would not do that. I know him. Why? Why wouldn't he do that? Because he's loving. He's not just. No, he's just. We don't take hell seriously because, listen, beloved, we don't take God seriously. We don't take hell seriously because we don't take God seriously. I mean, isn't that a crazy place to land on the very biblical doctrine of hell that we would say he wouldn't do that because he's loving and I'm not basing that on anything revealed in the scriptures. I just know it right here in my heart. The scriptures say that right here in your heart there's a way that seems right to you and it's going to kill you. 
It says that there's a way that seems right to man, and in the end, it ends in destruction, death. Listen, the correct response to the doctrine and biblical idea of hell is how infinite and glorious is God, that hell is the right punishment for taking from him. How infinite and glorious is God that hell is the right punishment for taking from him. A correct response to the idea, the biblical doctrine of hell is to go the other way. Not to say the punishment doesn't fit the crime because the crime, belittling God's name, stealing his glory, making ourselves the center of the universe is not that big of a deal. But rather to say God in his glory, his name, his nature, they must be amazing if hell is the right response to this. The horrors of hell point not to the injustice of God, but to the glory of God. The reality of hell proves the infinite worth of God. The reality of hell proves how glorious and holy he really is. There's so much more we could say, but I want to kind of end or begin to end (laughs) by giving you this thought. I'm not sure we really are living out the weight of eternity. Are you? I mean, I don't think think we're really living out the weight of eternity. Like the horrors of hell, the the magnitude of God's glory. I, I think it's just escaped us. I mean, it's just escaped us. We, we act like the idea of hell, the, the doctrine of hell just isn't in the Bible. We've redacted it from the Bible we hold in our hearts because it's easier to do that than it is to live with the implications of the truth of hell. It's easier to, to just ignore it. I mean, if hell is real, it changes the way I live, Right? It changes the way I relate to people because now my barista at Starbucks isn't just there to get me coffee and get it hot and get it now, but she has a soul that will spend eternity in hell apart from the presence of God and anything good if she doesn't give her life over to Jesus Christ. My friends, my coworkers, my neighbors, the lady at the bank, they have souls that will spend eternity in hell apart from the presence of God and anything good if they don't give their lives over to Jesus Christ. I mean, it changes things, right? It changes the way we live. We have got to unredact the idea of hell, the biblical idea of hell from the Bible we hold in our hearts and deal with the implications. Because listen, beloved, the Bible is clear. There is a literal place called hell. It's horrible. Eternal punishment. And it's absent the presence of God. And anything good. So, so back, to our, back to our story for just, just a moment. Many, many question the depth of Benjamin's love and wisdom. I mean, why not, why not let the wolves in? Why not let them in? Why not let them be a part? Didn't, didn't Benjamin love the wolves too? Well, why, not, why let the sheep persist in their wandering? Why not put them in a pen? Hey, why the barrier? 
Why the boundary line? Let's take the boundary line out and let the, the forest land and the grazing fields be one. Benjamin, he loved the sheep and the wolves. His love was for all creatures in his land. But how unloving would it be for him to allow the wolves in to pierce the peace of the grazing fields? He was a shepherd. His desire was to, to protect any creature who wanted to be a part of his flock. How unloving would it be for him to allow the wolves in to hurt his flock? To torment them, to torture them, to bring their reign of chaos and violence into the peace of the grazing fields. How unloving would it be for him to allow those who had led others astray, those who had led others out of the flock and into danger, how unloving would it be for him to allow them to stay and gather more followers? Benjamin was a wise and loving shepherd. More than a shepherd, really, because anyone who wanted to be a part of his flock could enjoy the security of the grazing fields. They only had to do one thing. Accept the peace he offered them. Accept the peace he offered him. That's it. Listen, beloved, hell, hell is not the end of the story. Like, why are so many people caught up in that? Like, I can't serve a God who, who created hell. Okay, that's up to you, but to me it seems kind of dumb. Because he also created heaven. And heaven is a place of eternal joy. Heaven is what you were created for. Heaven is where your heart will finally find the, the, the fulfillment that it's searching for in this life. The Bible says heaven is a place absent of pain and suffering and sadness. And get this, God took it upon himself to make a way for you to come and spend eternity with him in that place called heaven. He, you don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be rich or smart or pretty or anything like that. You don't have to do things perfectly. You don't have to be the best at Bible memorization or at self-control. You only have to receive it. That's all you have to do. Just accept the gracious gift of God's son and begin living for him. Accept the gift and give your life over to him. That's it. Listen, beloved. Eternally? There's really no downside here. I mean, eternally, there is no downside. Note, pay attention to, don't miss. The kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen. Kindness towards you. Provided you continue in his kindness. Let me leave you with this one last question. How does the biblical reality of hell affect the way you live your life? How does the biblical reality of hell affect the way you live your life? Does it? Sh should it? 
Have you ever considered it? Maybe now's the time. Maybe now's the time. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you, God, for creating heaven, giving us a way out of our deserved punishment that we call hell. Thank you, Jesus, for protecting us from the wolves. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way for us to accept your peace and live in that peace with you for your glory and our joy for eternity. Thank you, Jesus. I pray, God, that the seeds of truth that I scattered today would find good soil and take root, that anything that was of me would be quickly forgotten, but whatever was of you would be remembered and would haunt us this week and change us. God, let us be full of people in this room today who would leave here and would wrestle with this biblical truth and doctrine and idea of hell. Let us wrestle with it. Let us think about it. Let us pray through it. Let us read scriptures about it. And then let us allow it to change the way we live change how we see things, to change the way we worship, to change the way we approach you, to change the way we relate to others in our daily lives. God, if there's anyone in this room who has yet to give their lives over to you, I pray that in this moment they would make this decision to follow after you. We know, God, that heaven is not full of people who are scared of hell. It's full of people who love you. We know that. And so my prayer today is not about scaring somebody into raising a hand or, or getting baptized someday or being a church person, but, but my prayer is that they would see your grace and your love so abundantly in the, in the fact that you are keeping us from hell through your son Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, that they would get a glimpse of what we deserve and run from that towards your grace and your love and that they would fall deeply in love with you, Jesus, because of who you are and what you've already done for them. God, that's my prayer today. Help anyone who has yet to make that decision, make that decision, God, because they love you. Give them in this moment a love for you that that goes beyond Sundays, that goes beyond just a thought, but transforms. We love you, Jesus. We give all this into your hands and we trust you with it. It's in your holy name that we pray. Everybody said, amen. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to have prayer team on the side. They'd love to pray with you. Prayer team, you guys can go to the side, get ready to pray with people. If you want to give your life over to Christ today, go talk to a prayer person. They've got a little packet. It's called an I've Decided Packet. They'd love to give it to you. Just some next steps, help you through that process. But if you need anything, prayer for sickness or anything like that, or, or anything, let's be a church that seeks out prayer. Go do that during this song or at the end. Here's my prayer for you. May the Bible you hold in your heart match the one in your hands. May the reality of hell lead you to worship God rather than questioning Him. And may you accept the undeserved gift of Jesus Christ. 
God's peace. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today. Make sure you talk this over with your life group. If you're not in a life group, stop by Connection Central and get plugged in. We'll get you plugged in today. As always, my challenge to you is that you don't let this stop with you. That just like you've been helped to take your next step towards God, you go out and you help others take their next steps towards God. Be Jesus followers who make and disciple other Jesus followers. God bless. Sing with us. And I'll see you next week for week three in Redacted.